so tonight, we're starting a new series for the spring. Um, in the morning, Andy and myself will be sharing preaching responsibilities as well as Andy will be in here sometimes. And um, in the morning, we're gonna be going through the book of James. And then in the evening, we're gonna take the same themes from the book of James that James teaches, and we're gonna look at the parables of Jesus and talk about the same sort of topics through two different texts and, and to give a full understanding of what we're talking about. And um, so this morning, um, Andy was taking a day off because he was so busy over the holidays while well, I took some time off, and I taught on James chapter one, where James writes to the disciples that uh, we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And he says this phrase, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so tonight we're gonna read a parable, uh, the parable of the bags of gold, or the parable of the talents, that also has an element to testing to it. An element of a testing of our faith and sort of a a working out of our faith. Um, Many of you might be familiar with this parable. Um, Many of you may also be familiar with how difficult this teaching of Jesus can be sometimes for us. And so, uh, join me in, in reading either on the screen and the scriptures in front of you, however you like, the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Again, Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For, ev- for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anyone else ever scared of this parable? Any time there's a threat of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I'm always a little nervous. Um, and I certainly was with this for a long time, if I'm completely honest. Um, probably because I've often heard it primarily referred to with finances, because that's the analogy used. Um, and, and I can be honest with you about this, I hope you give grace, that I haven't always been great with money. 
I mean, I serve, or I, I save a little, I tithe, I, I try to do my best, but, but honestly, money makes me uncomfortable sometimes. You know, as with many of us, we keep our finances private. And I would read this passage and sort of be scared. What if I fail? As with any test, what if something happens, you know? You ever take those little, like, Scantron bubble tests where you fill in the things? What if I skip one question and then the whole test is wrong and I get, like, 2% and I fail? I even remember being in school. I became a Christian when I was in high school, and I remember taking this uh, class. We did an investment project, right? And you get a fictional amount of money, like $5,000, and you go to the newspaper and you, and you invest it in stocks. So you choose your stocks, how many stocks you want to buy, and you sort of do this fictional investment project um, over like six, six months or something like that. And over weeks and weeks, you track and you can change things and you can you know, sort of move your money around a little bit. And the whole goal was to learn a little about the stock market, investing. And at the end, the person who made the most fictional money won a prize. And we had to do a report on, I don't, know, I don't remember all the details. But uh, let me just say, this was around 1999. Everything was making money in the late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, it was the tech boom. Everyone was making money hand over fist. And somehow, I managed to not only get last, but I managed to lose money in the tech boom in the, in the stock market. And I remember actually hearing this parable around the same time in youth group and thinking, I'm doomed. Like, I, I don't know how to invest money. Not only am I going to be the guy with one talent, I'm going to be the guy they don't even mention who didn't even keep the one talent. He lost everything. And... It's always sort of scared me because of the money implication. It's always sort of been like this uncertainty in my life. How can we be guaranteed that our, our, our investment or our work will, will, will come back? Now, I think it's fun to think about those things. I, I think it's fun to think of how horrible I would be as an investor. Um, but I don't think this passage is, is about the stock market, right? Uh, Jesus didn't even really know what the stock market was. Yes, he's God, he knows everything, but you know what I mean. So what is Jesus talking about? What is the context here? Well, we don't have the passage on the screen, but if you have your Bibles open, you may look at the first verse in chapter 25, where Jesus says in the the parable of the ten virgins, uh, which we'll get to later in the spring, he, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, dot, dot, dot. So he's talking actually about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Okay, so the kingdom of God, great. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. And if you actually look back a little further into Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about how no one knows the day or the hour that he will return. And so this parable about the talents is not necessarily only about investing or finances or whatever it is. It's about what will happen at the kingdom of God at the time of Christ's return. What will the kingdom of God be like? What can we expect when Christ returns. And so we begin to see, okay, Christ is preparing to leave his disciples at the end of Matthew 25, and he's letting them know things to look for, signs of the times, as they say. And he is telling them this parable so that they would understand a little bit about the kingdom of God. And this is what we were talking about. What will God's kingdom be like at the time of Jesus' return to earth? And so we look, and it seems from this parable and the other parables in Matthew 25 with the ten virgins and the sheep and the goats, that there's actually going to be a test of some sort, isn't there? Though we may be afraid of tests, though we may not like the idea of tests, though we may be afraid of messing something up or making a bad investment, we see this all over Scripture that actually, in fact, there will be tests. 
James 1, as I mentioned, says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Psalm 66, our Old Testament psalm we read tonight, talks about God sending calamities and difficulties to the psalmist and psalmist praising God for those things that grew his faith and tested his faith. And so in our story, let me just recount, this man goes on a journey and he leaves his wealth to his servants. Five, two, and one. Some of them say ten, five, and two. The different versions in the different gospels. But we have this story. And the five doubles, it's five more. The two doubles, two more, the one stays. And the master's response is, five, well done. You have been faithful. Come and share in the things you have earned. The second, you have been faithful. Good job. Come and share your master's happiness. And the first is where it gets interesting, right? The first is where we get a little scared. Notice what the first one says. He doesn't just say, hey, I tried, did my best, didn't work out. He doesn't say, hey, you know, I, I have the one. But he, he, he makes an excuse immediately. He starts adding sort of like caveats or contingencies on this whole thing. Hey, you know what? I thought about doing something, but I know you're a hard man. I know you're difficult. I know. He starts just making excuses. And if it's true that in this analogy that Jesus tells, their master was testing their servants, this guy was afraid. You know, some of you may, <laughs> a test is, is something that we often don't look forward to because it means a ranking or it means something else, but a test can be very different, right? Some of you maybe have older children. Uh, the first time you left your children home alone, right? First time you left your children home alone overnight, sort of a test, Right? If it doesn't turn into Lord of the Flies and the house burns down, we can do this again. You know? Um, for my wife and I, where we're at in life, it's like the first time we leave the kid with a babysitter. You know, it's like two hours. Let's just make sure that's okay. Okay, that's good. We're going to try a few more, a few more. Okay, the kid freaked out and threw things through a window. We're going to go back and back it up a little. Right? These are, these are tests also that sort of reveal to us what we're ready for. These are tests that also reveal to us sort of our ability. But the thing is, regardless of the kind of test, we don't like being tested. And especially as adults, right? Many of us are done with school, we're working, and we sort of think, okay, now I'm good. I don't want to be tested. I want to be corrected. I don't want to be told what I need to do. And even more so, I would say, and some of you may disagree, but I really believe this is true in my experience, even more so when it comes to God, we really don't like being tested. Because of the grace of God, which is great and wonderful, we ignore our weaknesses. Hey, we know we're saved. We're just going to ignore those weaknesses. We, we point everyone to the good things we do so they don't see our weaknesses, right? Right? And, 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 and so in the church, I really believe this, that Christians, we often ignore our weaknesses because of how great grace is. And we love to rest in grace and the truth of Jesus, and that's true and it's good and we should. But we also need to remember, and we also really need to understand that we cannot rest in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Because it is clear in Scripture that there are tests along the way. Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruit. So then why have tests? Because we need to grow. We need to learn. Jesus Christ does not give us tests that we would feel shame or guilt, but that we would be revealed to us our weaknesses and grow, grow stronger. The, the imagery in the Psalms that I love, I talk about all the time, 
is it often talks in the Old Testament about the, the Israelites sort of being beaten down and downcast, right? But, but the, the imagery it gives in, con, in, in, in contrast to that is that when it talks about that we are confident in the Lord and we know who we are and we know what the Lord has done for us, that we stand upright. I talk about this a lot. Church, let me encourage us. Maybe, maybe we need to be corrected. Maybe God's grace has made us a little bit complacent at times. Maybe we are at risk at becoming like the Pharisees in Jesus' time who he was telling this stuff to because they were in control, because they were the ones making the rules, because they were surrounded by other people like them and there was no one pointing out their weaknesses. And so Jesus tells this parable and says, hey, listen, you need to understand something. There is gonna be a test. What do you have? What fruit is in your life? Maybe sometimes you and I rest a little too much in the fact that God has said we have grace. And now let me just add quickly that there is nothing plus grace we can have. We understand and believe that and that is all we need for salvation. But God has desired that we wouldn't just be saved but that we would grow. Not just that we would have life, Jesus said, but that we would have it abundantly. And so this servant in verses 24 and 25 makes these comments, has these caveats, says this master's a bad man and he was afraid. I, I don't see that. He may think the master is a hard man, but look at what the master did in the previous two situations. First, he has entrusted his wealth to his servants. He's not withholding from his servants. He's saying, listen, I trust you guys. I'm gonna give you this good gift to go and do with it as you will. There's no rules. There's no guidelines. He just says, here's this. I need to go do something with it. Secondly, the the text tells us that he knows each of their ability in verse 15. So this isn't a master that is far removed from his servants, that doesn't know his servants. This is a master who knows his servants, who knows about them and who they are. And he gives each of them according to their ability with where they're at in life. And third, after the first two come back, he shares in it. He says, come and share in the happiness. Come and share in the goodness. He doesn't just take it and run again. He says, great, thanks, gotta go. Come and share your master's happiness. He seems like a good master to me. And the lazy servant, I believe, was really truly afraid of failing. He was afraid of looking dumb doing something wrong? Think of the things that fear can do to limit us in our service and love for God. When we're afraid of failing, when we're afraid of what other people may say, we hesitate. I mean, I've shared this story before, but the first time I ever shared my faith, it was because I had to do it for an assignment for a college class. The class was evangelism, and so I had to share my faith. And the first time I was supposed to do it, I lied. Honestly, I had a, we had to write like a little one-page reflection, right? Go share your faith, write a little one-page paper and turn it in. I was so scared to share my faith. Bear in mind, I'm at a Christian college studying to be a pastor. I was so scared to share my faith at 18 or 19 that I lied on the reflection paper. Made up a total story because I was so afraid to tell someone about Jesus. And the next week I went into class and the professor's name was a guy named Lyle. And I said, Lyle, I have a confession to make. I lied. He said, what? And I told him what story, and he said, well, he's like, I'm sure a lot more people do it, but I'm glad you confessed. (laughs) He said, go do it for real this time. And I did, and it was horrible. 
I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth. I told someone about, this is just a side story. I told someone about Jesus and I told him about his death and life and all of these things, but I never actually resurrected Jesus. I left him in the grave. Like I told this guy in a coffee shop that Jesus died for him and that Jesus lived a perfect life and you need to follow him. And then I leave thinking, I left Jesus in the ground. Like there was no victory. But this is what fear can do. This is what fear does. It keeps us from doing simple things that God has called us to do. And in this passage, this servant, I believe he was afraid because he did not know his master. When you think of your God in heaven, the God who loves you, who desires a relationship for you or with you, what do you think of? Are you scared of him? Are you scared of his punishment? Are you scared of passing his test? Because scripture tells us that there is no fear in love. Now, yes, there is the fear of the Lord as far as the Old Testament goes, which is a reverence and an awe that draws us closer to God, but that's not what we're talking about. This fear we're talking about is a crippling, suffocating fear that creates avoidance, right? When you think of God, are you avoiding God or are you drawing closer to him? Are you afraid to have your faith tested in this way? Are you afraid to give everything you have to him, not just your finances, but your gifts, your time, your ability? Do you think God is a hard man? Do you know him? What is your image of God? Because that's really important. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears us is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And if that is true, and I believe it is, then God first loved us, therefore our response to him should not be fear, but a desire to go and serve like the first two in this passage. See, church, when we look at this parable alongside many other scriptures, we know that God will test us. We know there will be trials. We know there will be difficulties. But when we have these tests, they're not arbitrary tests to rank you and say you're better than you and you're better than you and we're all better than those people. That's not what this is about. It's as I mentioned before, when we have these tests of our faith and when we have these things that we analyze our life and look at what we're producing, it increases our knowledge of God so that we would know him better. It shows us our own weaknesses and they prepare us for the kingdom because that's what this passage is about. Our Lord will return. A lot of us like to, 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 to think that's not going to happen or we forget about it. The Bible is very clear that our Lord will return and that we are to be preparing ourselves and others for the kingdom of heaven that will be forever. God does not simply want us doing busy work. God is not a hard master who has us doing endless toil for no reason. He wants us, his children, you and I, sisters and brothers in Christ, doing work that is eternal Because we can never forget, church, that we work for a master, but he is a good master. He is a loving master. He is a caring master. And he is going to return for that which is most valuable to him. So we will be tested. You know, the the dedication tonight is a great example of that. I'm going to put them on the spot. It's a great example of that because that is something that is not temporary like finances. That is something that is eternal. That, that, that a parent says they're going to raise their child in the church and then the church vows to help. This is the things that have an impact for eternity in the kingdom. And God desires that you and I would be tested so that we might grow. 
so that when we fail, we would see an area where we fail, like I mentioned with my attempted evangelism. And I realized I'm terrified of this. Why am I terrified of this? I need to go and practice. I need to have God give me confidence. I need to pray about it. I need to ask people how to do it. And I need to get over my fear and just do it. Church, we're all on different roads. But my question is, is where is God taking you in your faith and how is your faith being tested? Because if you say my faith isn't being tested, I, I, I have bad news for you. It means you're avoiding the tests. <laughs> it means you're running and avoiding God rather than running to God. Think of the psalmist again. That psalm we read. The psalmist actually sits down and praises God for the tests, for putting him in jail. And he says, thank you, Lord, for imprisoning us because you have promised abundance. Can we praise God for the testing we see in this life? Can we grow from the testing we have in this life? Church, let us not become too comfortable. Let us not rest in what has been done before or what God has promised before, but what God is doing in our lives now. Let us trust that he will do a good work in us. That we can lean into these tests and know our master more so that we can be like the first two servants who, who are excited about what they bring to God, who, who know their master, who don't make excuses and say, well, my master's a hard man and he's a little scary. They say, no, master, look at what I have for you. And the master says, that is awesome. Come and celebrate with me. Let us not become too comfortable and let us not have fear overtake our lives as the wicked and lazy servant. Because when our God does return, and he will return, it should be a joyful event for all of us. And it will be because he has promised us victory. Let's pray together. God, God, this parable is hard. We're, we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of failing at work. We're afraid of failing with our families. We're afraid of failing in relationship. God, we often are afraid to even speak out about your name. Lord, I pray that when we see our weaknesses, that we would trust in you. That like the Apostle Paul, we would know that in our weakness, you are made perfect. And so, God, we ask that you would show us where our faith is being tested tonight. Encourage us to give those weaknesses to you and use your Holy Spirit through the teachings of Jesus Christ to show us how we might stand upright even though we have weaknesses. Lord, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. Let us then together work towards preparing for the kingdom of God as one body, your sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, whom you love and will return for. And so, God, we joyfully await the day Tests and trials, tribulations, all the things that may come, Lord, we trust that you will bring victory. Lord, thank you for that truth, and thank you for challenging us with your scripture. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.